Hey, and we say good morning. Good morning. You know what? Got great clouds out there. It's a great day. It's a winter day. And I'm with my favorite people, and everything's good. <laughs> it is a blessing to be here, I want to tell you. It's uh, like I always say, this is the best time of the week right here, this particular time. And and I don't know about you guys, but the, the two hours or three hours that some of us are here, uh, it has to be the quickest three hours of the week. It just goes by, and before you know it, boom, it's in the afternoon, and you go, wow, what happened? Where did it go? This is what I look forward to all week. See, you know, you try to make your rounds with everybody during that, that time, and, and it's hard to, to catch everybody but just seeing what's going on with their lives. So uh, anyway, it is um, certainly good to be here again. If you'll open up your Bibles... We uh, turn to, actually, Galatians chapter 5, and we're dealing with one verse here lately, if you've noticed, as we deal kind of with a series here, but in Galatians 5.22, after the deeds of the flesh are listed, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And uh, that's the verse that we're in. And uh, the fruit of the Spirit is called this section here. And that's where we're at. And so we pray that this study, this series, would be really edifying to us. That uh, we just let the Lord speak to us. I mean, this is how a Christian lives. This is at the heart of the life of a Christian, this, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And this is how we have the energy, the strength each day to uh, persevere, I guess you could say. And we cannot depend upon ourselves. It's the very power of God who lives in us, the Creator of the universe. And He gives us that abundant life that uh, Jesus promised. And we know that the Holy Spirit makes it all possible. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers us, energizes us. And you remember that the Spirit hates the flesh in this same chapter, just a few verses before. It was the war. Spirit hates the flesh. The flesh hates the Spirit. And so that constant war goes on and explains what's happening in our lives each day. As we battle, we struggle, but yet we have all the resources to win those battles. And so that's what's encouraging. Every Christian has this fruit. Every Christian has it. The trick is is to manifest it, to really make it show forth, uh, to make it not only bud out, but to be able to blossom and then just bloom and then just go crazy with all the fruit. That's what He wants us to do. And we, so we have that ability to do that because of the Holy Spirit. The Christian possesses love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on. So, you know, that's pretty encouraging to know that we, we do have that. Sometimes we don't feel like living that, but Jesus Christ is the very embodiment of this cluster of fruit here. And I think that Paul gives us what I would think to be an enlightening illustration of uh, this glorious fruit, uh, and it's called New Life in Christ. This is the kind of things that develop in a Christian. We've already examined the first one, 
And of course, that being love, and it seems to be the foundation of the rest of them, they follow suit right after that. We know that God is love. I mean, that is His character. It's not that He does love. He is love. He is light. And uh, so that's the very person. God is light and God is love. That's a good way to define Him. And you continue to see that God is holy. God is just. Those attributes are not only something that He practices. That's what, uh, what His life is. It's who He is. And He communicates some of His attributes to us. Those are what we call the communicable attributes. You like that? The communicable attributes. There are certain attributes that we cannot have that God has. But there are many attributes that He has that He gives us. God is holy. But He also says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we can be holy because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Christ dwelling in us. That's a communicable attribute. And so this fruit here, love, Joy. That was the second one that we did. We uh, picked up on that last week. And we know no matter the circumstances, we can exhibit it. We can put on display the very joy of God in our lives in whatever we may do. Matter of fact, it's not only something we put on in display, it now is our nature to be joyous. We just need to be reminded. Right? Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. And it's always, always, always. And so as we behold God's glory, and that's what we focused on last week, the supremacy of Christ, as we gaze upon His manifestation of who He is, and He's a God of joy, then we too can take and glorify Him. And as we do that, that's where our joy comes from. As we glorify Him, we enjoy Him. The chief end of man is to... Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So this week we concentrate on the next one, which is peace. Love, joy, peace. We're we're getting these in our head, right? We can say these at any time. It's something all people strive for, and yet it is probably one of the most elusive things that uh, is because people strive for peace, want peace, desire peace. Anybody wants peace. Anybody wants joy, right? But those kind of things can be very elusive. That inner peace is so much a mark of a Christian that we look at the Prince of Peace. Christ is our Prince of Peace. And so we're going to open up our Bibles this morning and get a view that God has. Not what the world has on any of these. How does the world... Define love. We know it is skewed. It's not even close to that agape love. How does the world define joy? Well, it's some kind of um, thing that is usually dealing with sin uh, for self and such. But the Bible defines it totally different. And peace is the same thing. They get so close, but without Christ, they can't understand what these terms that are so precious to us as Christians, they cannot understand how vital they are, how important they really are. So anyway, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, we pray to Him that we have a more understanding of um, this truth. Lord, we, we thank You that we have the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace who left the peace for us as He left this world and went to heaven he said that uh, peace is given to his followers. And Lord, help us to understand that more. Help us to understand this is a very part of our lives. This is now our nature. 
Um, but we often so much struggle to experience this peace. So Lord, teach us today. Open up our hearts. Help us to understand more thoroughly what this is and that we can apply it in our, in our lives. Help us as we open up Your Word that Your Holy Spirit would show us this fruit that we actually have in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, an obvious uh, question we ask is, what is peace? And we first look at it, well, it's defined by the world. Uh, and some pretty good uh, thoughts here. Um, the world would say peace is a sense of calm and tranquility and quietness and bliss and contentment and being that you feel, you, you believe that everything is well. And people have those moments, at least they think they do. It's an attitude of calm, an attitude of tranquility. And it sounds right, doesn't it? Doesn't all that sound right? It sounds good. We like that. But it's rather shallow. Frankly, it's very shallow because they think of calm feelings and tranquility and often some on some beach where there are palm trees and sunshine, 73 degrees, and the water is clear, see-through, and it's just gorgeous there. And that's peace. And there's no noise. and You know, it's just nice and quiet. only thing is, we can get feelings of peace. And the thing is, that might be a vacation. You might have been to some place like that. The only thing is, you know that next week you have to be back to work or everything's going to change. You know, that's not going to last forever. Um, you know, the world can produce their own kind of peace. And people do it with a pill. They do it with drugs. They do it with alcohol. You know, they, they seek certain different things to get that peace for a moment. They can do it with a lie and deception. Uh, a nap. You can get a nice, peaceful nap, a nice, peaceful rest, a sleep. That's general, isn't it? And so people try to cover up, you know, what's going on in life. Man, do we live in a life, of, uh, I, I think, a world of turmoil. Uh, and you hear it, and boy, do you hear it politically constantly, uh, especially even in our locale lately. And it seems like an uproar. And not only politically, but you can think of it economically, and you can think of all the different facets that uh, involve the world system. And if that's what we followed, I would not be at peace at all. My stomach would be rumbling, rumbling constantly. All I have to do is turn on the 530 News. And, uh, boy, they'll, they'll tell you how bad it really is. Um, people can give you a reassurance and say things that make you feel better and more peaceful and give you sweet nothings in the ear and confirming how deep uh, maybe they, they might care for you and, and love you. But that's not necessarily the kind of peace that Paul has in mind. It's uh, quite different, as a matter of fact. As uh, a matter of fact, it doesn't even have to do with human circumstances. It can't be produced by a pill. It can't be produced by alcohol. It can't be produced by sleep. And the kind of uh, experiences that the world has uh, it rarely lasts very long. It's shattered by the unknown, the uncertain future, bitterness, anger, pride, vengeance, and any kind of challenge to our place that we have, and all of a sudden our peace is destroyed. Uh, our possessions, our very security could be taken out from underneath us. Would we still have that 
peace. And you think last week, you notice how joy and peace kind of go together? Out of joy, it seems like out of flowing out of there is, is a peace. But, uh, you know, uh, it's often um, taken with grace. Uh, Paul writes in his epistles so much, grace and peace to you. And so uh, we know that uh, it is very important. But uh, the standard of living, we expect, we have high expectations the way things that have, and maybe the standard of living hasn't been the way that, uh, that we want it. How about economic stability? Up and down and moving all around. Physical health, boy, does that ever change. Material possessions, those things can change. You know, Our income can change. Our job can change. We can lose a job. All that financial security, the perfect job. Uh, we are concerned about promotion after we get a job. And then after that, then we're, we're concerned about retirement. And we think things have to be the way that they ought to be. And they don't always turn out that way. Matter of fact, they never do turn out the way that we planned from the very outset. It's an elusive life of peace that people are considering, and they always consider the greener grass that's on the other side, right? Well, that's some of the peace that the world has. I've had enough of that. Let's move on to what truth says now. The world will lie to you about everything, even these fruit of the Spirit, right? It's defined by the Word. The Word of God is where you go to find out what the Spirit of the Spirit is. This peace, spiritual peace, the true, deep down peace. That's the attitude of the heart and mind. And calmly, confidently, believing and knowing that all is well between God and me. Peace with God. No longer is the sin that we had held against us. He cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. He loves us with the same kind of love that He has had. It never changed. He never changes. We do change. And I know everyone here probably has trouble with some changes. I do. I hate to change certain things. There's a lot of things I do not like to change. Now, to change from worse to better, I like that, you know. Change, change, you know, the politicians always say that, and boy, the change that you get, you don't want. And when you hear that word, you go, oh no, here we go, right? But God never changes. And so, you know, that with all the, in the midst of turmoil, God is the same today, yesterday, forever. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that He will never hold him against me as far as the eternal kingdom is concerned. God is concerned with my well-being. See, some of these words are what the world is using. But, it's without God, without Christ, the Prince of Peace. It's a deep down peace that you know that's there. So, um, it doesn't matter what people say to you. It doesn't matter what people do to you. It doesn't matter. The peace is upon who He is, no matter what the circumstances, because we are beloved children of God adopted into His family. And we know that we have that possession. It's our privilege by right that He's given us. It's peace above us, or peace with God. It is a peace within us, or a a peace with a conscience. 
That's everlasting. That's the kind of peace that we're talking about. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. So many verses deal with this. It's all over Scripture. don't have enough time this morning to go all over those if we use a concordance and look up that word. But this is a famous one. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, goes beyond our finite thinking. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. So, and, and we know that we can make our request be known to Him. That's the verse before this. Look in John 14.27. Night before He's going to be crucified and He's leaving the disciples, but He's leaving them some things they really need to know. And they need to know that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is coming in. In John 14.27, He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. Everybody's familiar with that passage. My peace. And he comes back and says it again. It's my peace. Not the world's peace, but my peace. I'm giving to you. Now this is when he knows he's going to be crucified on the cross. He knows he's going to take the sins of yours and, and my sin. And he's going to take it and crucify right there. He knows that uh, uh, a terrible evil act is going to be put upon him. And yet he's thinking about them. He's thinking about us. About giving them peace. And so isn't that great to know? No longer afraid of God. Yes, we are to be uh, having a healthy fear of God. That's a, a mark of a Christian. To fear God. To have a true, holy reverence for Him. Knowing that He's transcendent. But yet we're not afraid of Him. The sin which divided us has been blotted out, ceased to be. The atonement has worked a reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been reconciled. We've been established with everlasting peace. The terrors of God's laws. If When you look at God's laws and it seems like it's so terrifying, now is been removed as far as our trying to attain and to meet those laws in our own works. We're brought near by that atoning sacrifice of Christ. Brought near to Him. And we know all His thoughts. His thoughts are towards us. A beloved child um, really has a kind, tender, gentle father. Isn't this great? Shouldn't that give us peace? Anyway, whatever offended him has been effectually put away. We've been reconciled. Using a lot of terms there uh, that are theological, that are so important, though, the atonement, where God, the Father, is satisfied because our sins were taken care of because the Son, in His obedience, did for us what He was to do. And the Father was pleased with that. So, that's what's given to us. And it's all in the will of God. Now, that's kind of peace defined. 
Let's go in to look at what is the source of peace. Obviously, we know what that source is. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the uh, we're going to look at the triune God and look at each one of how they play uh, their part in peace. Peace is an attribute of God, like I said earlier, and it's not only an attribute; it's the very nature of God. He is peace. Whatever it is that He gives us, He has, and He is. What He gives to us is what He has. Isn't that incredible? You ever thought of that? God is love. We don't argue about that. God is also peace. He has no lack of perfect peace. He's absolutely satisfied, has always had perfect peace, has it now and always will. And it's not less than it ever been before. And it's not going to be any more than before because it is infinite peace. God is never stressed. Have you guys ever thought about that? God is never worried. God never has anxieties. God never doubts. God never fears. Boy, that sounds like peace to me. God is never at discord with Himself. And the triune God, not one of the members of the triune God is trying to be more of a God than the other ones. And he's never unclear. He is never unsure. He is never threatened. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of peace? A perfect calm, a perfect tranquility, a perfect contentment. And the world cannot define that. They can't understand that. They use some of the same words, but it comes from God. That's the very God that they deny. (coughs) Oh Man, we need to tell them about the good news, about the perfect calmness. That thing down in uh, Ferguson. They need to know what peace is. They, they need to know that uh, the joy. They need to know that even in those circumstances that you, you trust in God. Trust in Him. A perfect tranquility. A perfect contentment. He's in charge of everything. There are people that need to know this. And this is why we have the good news. There are people that are absolutely lost, don't even know this, and you can say, this all sounds familiar. This sounds like I've already heard this. Yeah, we have. But it should enlighten us any more, shouldn't it? So God enjoys perfect peace. He has absolute perfect harmony with Himself. He has no idea what outside of... Uh, harmony is as far as himself is concerned. He is the Lord of peace, the Master of peace. Let's turn to Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse sixteen. Second Thessalonians three, sixteen. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. There it is. There's our peace when we recognize that the Lord is with us always and all of us. May the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace. And He does. That's a great prayer that Paul said. And, and that's it does happen. Uh, look in Romans 15.33. We're talking about the Father right now. So whenever it says the Lord of peace, we'll be thinking of, of the Father. God overall, it's God in general, but also comes from the very Father. In Romans 15, 33, 
Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Sound familiar? May the God of peace. Boy, that's what I want. There's a great prayer. But the God, He is the God of peace. Where does peace come from? It comes from God. Nowhere else. It doesn't come from us or anybody else. Or some kind of world peace that happens. Philippians, did you know the world is trying to be at one world and at, and at peace? That's what United Nations is about. It's all about peace. You know how many treaties and covenants have been made over the course of the years? And they all break? Matter of fact, uh, I think the statistics say in 4,000 years of recorded history that we know of, 4,000 years, there have been a total of 286 years where there's been peace. 286 versus 4,000? Unbelievable. And thousands and thousands and thousands of wars. Billions of people have been killed. The world can't do it. I don't care what the UN does and the one world government, one world religion, one world peace. Now, without God, it'll never happen. They can do all they want. I know that sounds negative, but no, it's the most positive message it is because I haven't seen it yet. You can look through history, it doesn't happen. And they're still trying to do it. Mankind can't do it. No matter how hard they try, they make it worse <laughs> because they're sinful. Two people have a hard enough time getting together, don't they? <laughs> Philippians 4.9 The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in Me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, that's Paul. And this is a, uh, the verse preceding this is something I have used in counseling over and over and over and over again. Because the things that might be bothering us so terribly, weighing heavily on our minds, and you go back to the verse, and you know what? Psalms is a great place to go, and that's always been said that it is the medicine chest for the Christian. The Psalms are. But right here in Philippians, finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there be any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on these things. And then he says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen me practice these things, what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. Not the world's peace that's going to be fleeting, but the God of peace will be with you. Who is peace? And now all of a sudden we have that feeling that starts coming into play then. But it starts thinking on the things of God. Meditating on Him. He's guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ. The peace of God. And then He comes back and says, the God of peace. Right here in Philippians 4. Oh, I love this number 626. I need to say it more often. Maybe at the end of uh, worship time. You guys know this. As soon as I say it, you'll go, oh yeah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Everybody likes that, don't they? We love to hear that. We love to be reminded that is good. Right out of the book of Numbers of all things. How many times have you read the book of Numbers this week? 
okay, it comes from God the Father. Well, let's look at the triune God. Let's look at God with our... Um, well, how do we turn that? Trinitarian glasses. Trinitarian glasses. I always have to rely on Bob to say that. We had a Bible study on Monday nights way back at the Alpha and Omega. You guys remember those days? You know, that's been almost three years now since we've been out of that building. But that goes that term, probably, we looked at that probably maybe five years ago. And it stuck with me, but I can't ever remember what, what it is, so uh, Bob helps remind me there. But the Trinitarian glasses, and we look at that, and you can look at any Scripture dealing with it. See, how does... How does the Trinity, how does the God the Father, how does God the Son look at this? How does the Holy Spirit look at this? Uh, or how do we term Him? So we've looked at the Father, let's look at the Son. God uh, the Son is the purchaser of peace. God the Father is the one who decrees peace for us. You like that? He decrees per, a peace for us. The Holy Spirit is the one, or uh, the Son is the one who purchases it. For us, he made peace by his blood. Uh, let's turn to Colossians one twenty. Verse nineteen says, "It was the Father's good pleasure." You like that? His good happiness, his good joy is his pleasure. He is a God of pleasure. That is God. He is pleasure. How's the world define pleasure? <laughs> But this is pleasure. For all the fullness to dwell in Him. Who's the Him? It's Jesus Christ. All the fullness of God, all the fullness of pleasure dwells in who? Christ. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace, and here we go, through the blood of of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, He made peace through the blood of His cross. Oh, the blood of Christ. That was a high payment. The highest of all payments. That was a ransom He paid. And so He purchased it. The atonement that Aaron, the priest, in the Old Testament there, you think of Leviticus. The atonement that he made when he entered into the Holy of Holies, that once a year thing that he did with the blood, was a type of Christ, our high priest, who went to the cross and presented the blood. It's, there's no magical element in that blood itself, but we're talking about that death, the violent death of Jesus Christ because of our sin. And He purchased peace. Everlasting. And that payment lasts forever. You know, He had no earthly estate to leave to the disciples. There were no buildings. There was no money. I mean, nothing that He could leave them materially outside of what He had invested into them for those three years. But what He had to give them in John 14 is the thing they needed the most. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. He says, My peace I leave with you. 
Because peace was made at the cross. That's where you find your love. That's where you find your joy. That's where you find your peace. And on and on and on. You go back to the cross. It's so simple. But don't we forget that? You remember, I remind ourselves, preach the Gospel to yourself every day. Preach the grace of God that was done. It's not our performance that's going to please God. It's the performance of Jesus Christ. He had no earthly estate to leave but the peace. That peace is eternal, isn't it? You know what? That same kind of peace that the triune God enjoys amongst themselves, that is what He gives us. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have the same peace that God has. But it doesn't feel like that, Dennis. I know. That's the thing that we battle against. The deeds of the flesh. I mean, the enemy does not want you to know that you actually have an inner peace. The enemy, the world, the devil, of course, the flesh lets all that in. And it's a constant battle. You have to fight for peace. You have to fight for love. You have to fight for joy. You have to fight for peace. It's a constant thing. You can say, well, yeah, but it's already here. Yeah, but we're in the flesh. And there's our battle. But it truly is there. I have to think of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And about this time of the year, you know, it's getting close to Christmas. And this year, it's a short Christmas. I mean, it's going to be upon us like, you know, never before. It seems like it's so quick. It seems like every year it just flies by more. But uh, actually, you know, if you go by Advent and such, this is actually the second week of that. We have next week and one more week before Christmas on our Sundays. So we'll be singing those joyous songs of Christmas like we always do. And I mean, it's already there. It's like, wow, really? Are we, are we right there? Yeah, we are. Well, this is a great verse for this time period. Isaiah 9.6. Many times this is used for thoughts of Christmas time. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Amen. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. There's no other Prince of Peace, is there? Ephesians 2.14 Oh, there's a lot of good things about Ephesians. Man, we need to appear into Ephesians. That chapter 1 needs to take us up into the heavenlies. And chapter 2 then says, but here's your sin, but then it comes in, but God being rich in mercy. And then Ephesians 2.14, for He Himself, we're talking about Christ, right? The Son, is our peace. He is our peace. The only peace. Who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He Himself is our peace. So we've seen God the Father, we've seen God the Son, Christ leaves that peace with us. I don't see that definition out in the world, do you? Is the UN defining it that way? No. Matter of fact, I just heard this week, I don't know, sometime in November, in Washington at um, the something, the cathedral, it's nationally known, you know, it's Episcopal Church and it's very uh, liberal for the most part. But anyway, I'll show you how liberal it is. Is 
whenever they had, I think, members of Congress in there and somebody said a prayer. It actually was a Muslim praying in the name of Allah right in Washington, D.C., in a so-called church house of God. Allah, a different God. There's only one God. There's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. I did, you know, a matter of fact, they took out all the pews and they put out mats for people to pray on. This is in Washington, D.C., our own nation, praying in the name of Allah. And one lady who was a Christian started yelling out of saying, Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only one we pray to. It is only Him that is God. You know, and she was saying it very loudly. And uh, then that's when the there's a name for the guy who was leading it. That's um, quite a leader in, in uh, Muslim religion. But he said, oh, that's why we are praying. <laughs> because she was disturbing their peace. I think what she did was very well done. Yeah. It needed to be done. Would, would we have done that there? They, we need more people shouting out saying Christ is the only way. Yeah. But that's where our nation has come. And uh, we're seeing um, their places of so-called worship popping up everywhere. And places like Indiana, where one gentleman was sharing, where... It was huge, where they had a huge turnout in, in the Midwest, where you would least likely think that to be, and uh, growing in, in an immense, quick way. And, um, of course, we hear of that in places close by us. But you know what? They can't offer peace. And we know that they offer nothing but war. Look at the history. And then the Holy Spirit in the triune God plays a huge role in peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. You're a Christian? You have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit clears up the work of grace in the heart from which arises peace. Grace and peace kiss each other, don't they? Galatians 5.22, that's where we're at. Romans 14.17 says the kingdom is peace in the Holy Spirit. Peace in the Holy Spirit. So, you see where this peace comes from. The Father decrees it. The Son purchases the peace and the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives. Do you see, as we look with triune glasses, how the triune God works with giving us that peace and reminding us of the peace that we have? It's all from Him. Who is peace given to? Well, do the unsaved people have peace? Well, that's pretty obvious. They say they have peace. Matter of fact, they can even say, peace, peace. And then what comes? Sudden destruction. Thessalonians says. There's no peace, says God. Uh, matter of fact, in Romans 5, it says that we were enemies of Christ. He is peace. We were enemies of peace. That's what we were before Christ. Now, nobody would ever say that. I hate peace. I'm an enemy of it. Those are the very same people though, that wind up destroying peace <laughs> or try to destroy it. But uh, Isaiah 
You know, matter of fact, we believers hate God. We are ungodly. I say we, that's what we once were. We hated Him. We were not at peace with Him. We were not reconciled with Him. You look at all of these verses that are dealing with peace, and you know what? We're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. I think we forget to talk about peace sometimes. I forget to talk about it. It just sounds like a kind of a flowing, lovely type word. Just like love, joy, peace, peace. Boy, and then you start looking at it. It's a powerful term, isn't it? It's a strong term, peace, because it overcomes everything that comes against it. Well, Isaiah 57, 21, which I've been turning for the last five minutes. And, uh, let's look at that verse. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. You've heard of that? There is no peace for the wicked. Some of you might have had parents ever say that. There's no peace for the wicked. <laughs> Guess that's where that comes from, huh? Look in verse 20. Does it sound like peace? The, the wicked are the ones who are enemies of God. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. When you think of the roaring sea and all the disasters that happen on the sea, do you think of peace? Not usually, unless you see where it is totally like glass and there are no it's just perfectly calm. That's not usually the case when you think of the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up refuse and mud. And then he says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's no peace for the unbeliever. We can offer the good news of peace. The peace that they can have with God. They may have a truce right now, but there's, there's no peace in that. God may forbear the wicked a while. He hold, withholds His judgment. Spurgeon said... Um, There's like a board that people are walking on right now. And as they walk on that board, it's rotten underneath. And any time that board is going to just break through, people will fall into hell. It kind of reminds you of Jonathan Edwards. Mm -hmm. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. The world just doesn't know. The wicked may have something that looks like peace, but it's not. Well, who's peace given to? It's the believers. And we have to go to that Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Oh, yes. We have to touch Romans today. Oh, you have to like this. After talking about being justified by faith, throwing out some good Reformation type terms that are really just they're biblical. It just comes from the Bible. This is Reformed theology. Justification by faith. Being declared righteous in God because He has given us the belief that um, we have in Him. Abraham was justified by faith. David was justified by faith. That's chapter 4. And so, chapter 5 says, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore, right? And here we go. He explains it because of that. Having been justified by faith. That's what chapter 4 is about. That's the good news. We have what? Peace with God. That's peace. You want to define peace? It's peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in this grace, surrounded by it. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. Because we've been justified, we have peace with Him. And we exult in the hope. We are introduced. We have access to the God of the universe, the King of the universe. And and just keep a reading. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations right now. Right now, we, we rejoice in that. Knowing that tribulation, what does it do? This is God's word. This is not what Jesus, uh, I mean that something Dennis would have thought up. There is no way I would ever come up with this verse. I like that until this, right? <clears throat> Knowing that tribulation, I don't rejoice in tribulation, but I know here's what it will do because God says it. It's hard for me to believe sometimes, but I have to believe it, and so therefore I believe it. It brings about perseverance, and perseverance brings out proven. Character. And proven character brings what? Hope. We have hope in this dark world. I've been talking about some bad news that's happened out there, but there's nothing but good news in our own lives. You know, we have nothing to fear. I'm not trying to be a doom and gloomer. I'm just saying that's the way the world has been and is and will be until Christ comes back. And yes, it could mount worse. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Look at Scripture. Put on your Trinitarian glasses and you look far enough and you'll see the triune God involved in that. Jesus Christ. You see the glory of God there. You think of the Father on the whole triune God and you think of the Holy Spirit. That's all found just in that text. That's where peace comes from. There's the promise. Guys, this is the promise. Go back to that and say, man, my life is a mess right now. I don't know what's happening. And then turn, turn, turn to some of these passages and look, at the, look what God is doing. He's, he's, he's going to give us these things and He'll give us perseverance and He will give us proven character and He'll give us hope and it will never disappoint because we have the love of God in us and we're like children. And He really is the Father. Have all been sanctified that are Christians? Yes. Do all have peace? Yeah. They have a title to it. They have the ground of it. Grace is the seed of peace and it will in time turn to peace. That's the thing. It's It's a seed that's there. And then it can turn into a flower. Then it can turn into the fruit. We all have that seed. And it can even turn into some small fruit, but we want it to be abundant, don't we? And by allowing Him to work in it. Uh, in Psalm 29.1, the Lord will bless His people with peace. His people. This peace I don't give to the world. This love I don't give to the world. Now we know that John, John 3.16, God so loves the world. Not the world system. But ultimately, it's the people who we're going to trust in Him, who He has granted from the foundations of the earth this great grace, this peace, peace with God. We may not have peace in our conscience. 
We may not have peace that we're experiencing right now, but there's a secret peace that we have, no matter if you want to believe it or not at the time, it's there. If you're Christian, you trust in Christ, you have it. And you can use that. You can bear it up. You can keep from sinking. All this hope. We need to be reminded of this. Because we have to go out into the world tomorrow. We need these things. There's a many-sided blessings of peace. Want to know what those are? I had to go to Spurgeon on some of these thoughts here. And I thought, man, this is very well said. I want to share that with some people. For one thing, we're no longer afraid of God. We've kind of said that. The sin which divided us from this holy God, it's blotted out. Does that help? It starts with that. It starts with spiritual things. It starts with the big thing. It starts out with the most important thing. But fervent love reigns in our heart. That's a great blessing. Perfect love casts without fear. That's related to peace, isn't it? Fear. That causes us to joy in Christ. That's a great blessing. No matter what we feel. Don't go by the feelings. And another blessing is that we're free from doubt. Oh, how blessed to bask in the sunlight of Jehovah's love, free from all doubt and being no more conscious of sin, as Spurgeon says. goes on to say this, Peace, because sin is forgiven, is the sweet fruit of justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Spurgeon says this, Peace, because the heart is renewed and made to agree with the will of God, is the blessed result of sanctification. Sending us apart. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spurgeon says this peace because the soul is conscious of being the object of divine love. We are objects of God's love. Is a precious attendant upon the spirit of adoption, which is the very essence of peace. Brothers and sisters in Christ. See it, Spurgeon. He also says it's talking about being content in all things. Never has there ever been a time when people who've had it so good technologically, financially, materially, the homes we live in, the comforts that we have, I mean, the world has never had it like this. And it seems to be people are the the least content of any time. People are never satisfied with the basic needs being met. They're looking for some kind of peace. And they always want something more. Uh, We live happily ever after, right? So go the fairy tales. People are living for that someday. Someday, you know? hasn't turned out the way that I expected. In our day, we expect too much. And then life doesn't turn out the way that we want it. We're still looking for that peace. The believer says this, all things are mine, whether things present or things to come. All are mine, for I am of Christ, and Christ is of God's. Praise God. 
Philippians 4, 11 through 13. We were in Philippians 4 earlier. Look at this. Boy, this should help the Christian in his living. We're here to remind us of these things. Are these things new that we're talking about? No. I feel like I'm saying something that I've been saying for 30 years. But it's a good thing, isn't it? Does it ever get old? Matter of fact, it should be refreshing. Are you drinking from the fountain of God's Word? Well, look in Philippians 4, verse 11. We need these things. Everybody battles. 4.11 Not that I speak from want. This is Paul. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both having abundance and suffering. You know what? Life has its ups and downs, doesn't it? And you feel like you have an abundance sometimes. And sometimes it feels like you have nothing. And it might very well be. You might be at that point or have been at that point. But Paul says, I've had all this. And then he says, suffering need. In our Acts study on Wednesday night, we were talking about how Paul and Silas were beaten with rods almost to the point of death. Bloody mess over their backs, all over their whole body, their legs. And then he says things like this I know what it's like. I've been there, Paul says. And then that famous verse that every athlete has um, some kind of a plaque on their wall I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me? What has that actually, in the context, come on the heels of? Knowing that I had strength to get me through the the times when I was very poor. The times when I was very needy. The times were just turbulent. The times when things were going really good and riding high. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And to know that these Philippians shared with him in his affliction. <laughs> but he was content in all things. I, uh, I'm always reminded of Jeremiah Burroughs, who wrote about contentment. Wrote a book, a whole book on contentment. And uh, my, that will sure bring you peace when it puts everything back into perspective. I've learned in every situation. It's an inward peace. Oh, the soul has perfect peace no matter the surroundings, right? A good man is satisfied with himself because he's satisfied with Christ. John Piper, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. That means realizing we are at peace with Him. And now we come to uh, another part. Not all Christians enjoy peace. And that's kind of on the tales of where we've been. Why haven't all believers fully enjoyed the possession of peace? Why haven't I really enjoyed this great gift that God has given me? 
Why hasn't it been the flower that comes to full bloom and fruits out? Why isn't that? Some of the godly may not have a full degree of peace. A godly is a Christian. And for one thing, it's through the fury of temptation. Thomas Watson shares with us here. So you're getting Spurgeon, Thomas Watson. We'll get you a little bit of Jonathan Edwards as we close out. And I borrowed some of the, from John MacArthur to make it up to date. So with, with those, I hope it'll, I'm, I'm trying to get everything that can come from different angles at different time periods and help those Christians help us understand this and to make it fruit out more rather than just having it here. You know what I mean? The fury of temptation will disturb us. Sometimes it will dispute against our adoption, being into the family. Sometimes we can question the very work of grace in our hearts. The winds of temptation can be blowing, Watson says. It can be rough. It can be stormy. Disturbing the spirit of peace. Or the peace of spirit. Causes commotion. That is why one reason why we don't always enjoy this peace. Another thing is that we look at ourselves and we see the sin. We see the corruption, and if there were grace, there would be not be such strong working of corruption if we'd see the grace that's there. Whence is it that you feel sin? Well, actually, no man, no Christian can really feel that sin unless God graces us with conviction. You ever thought of that? A wicked man is insensible to his sins. He doesn't care. It doesn't bother him. When we're in war, when we're combat, which we always are with sin, it's the life of grace that reminds us, oh yes, I'm in a war. Dead spiritual things, dead spiritual people cannot combat. They don't really have a war. They just do what they do easily. Whence is it that the saints weep for sin? Watson asked. It's because God has given that us to grieve our sin. It's a good thing. You say, well, I have this sin and I really don't have peace. Well, you can say, well, thank the Lord. Confess it. And thank the Lord that He brought that conviction. Another thing is, the godly may not enjoy peace because they may leave their first love. Sometimes the fervency of pursuing Christ it's like you take the strings of a guitar and loosen those strings up a little bit. The music becomes spoiled. doesn't sound very good. If Christians slack in the duty, they will slack in the sweet music of peace and the souls. As the fire goes out, as it decays, Watson says the cold increases. So just like fervency. Fervency in our love for Christ. We go to number six. We got, This is not a three-point sermon today, guys. <laughs> How do you experience this peace? We're right at the moment. Number one, you ask of God. Look in Colossians 3.15. And this all is dealing with um, Paul
Paul and encouraging them. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let it rule in our hearts. Reign to still that rage of conscience. It's a dry and parched time sometimes. And we cannot have enjoy that peace till He infuses it. We want to pursue Him. That's what He wants us to do, to go pray to Him and say, Lord, I know You've given me peace. Help me experience this peace. You are the God of peace. You are the one who creates peace. You are the Prince of peace. And You even command it, Lord, so therefore I know my prayer is right, that I have peace with You. Watson said, Give me that peace which may sweeten trouble. Yea, even the bitter cup of death. How to experience peace? Well, make war with sin. And remember, we are in that war. Realize that you are in war and it has to be mortified, right? You have to kill it. When you kill sin, you have peace with God. Break the legions that you have with sin. Give battle to sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Our peace is a war against the devil. Another thing you do is go to the cross. Go to Christ's blood. Some try to find that peace in their own righteousness, in their own selves. They go for peace to their holy life, how holy they can live, and they look for that to satisfy their peace, and it's still not there. If your conscience be troubled, and you strive to quiet it by doing something on your own, you're still not going to find it. Where do you go to? The blood of Christ. The sprinkling of the blood of Christ, that's the right way to peace. In Hebrews 12, it talks about that. That's the, the way to peace. The blood of Christ pacified the uh, God the Father. And no bomb cures like the blood of Christ does. That's bomb, B-A-L-M. <laughs> Therefore, we have peace with God. Right? And then another thing, you want to walk closely with God. As many as walk closely or according to this rule. Look in Galatians 6.16. One of these days we're going to get there, the Lord willing. And those who will walk by this rule, and this section is talking about glorying only in the cross. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel God. Galatians 6.16 Walk very much close to Him. Peace comes out of that kind of heart. God's Spirit is a refiner before a comforter. Lastly, we need to apply that peace. Okay, we've seen the doctrine. Words, what the world does with it. What, what it is. And the source. Now we need to be able to live that in our lives. We are the objects of God's delight. We talked about joy last week. He delights in us, He says. We have been taken into His family. He adopted us, not because we were of any good. He chose us. 
The adopted people do, kids do not choose their parents, the adopted do. His name, the names were written on the heart of Christ before the world was ever made. And he promises no less than life and immortality for eternity. Can you imagine that? Glory that never fades away. The love of God, which is from eternity to eternity. Focus on that. And then this life starts to make sense. His omnipotent power. The infinite power of God. And we will have a foundation of peace. And through all the changes we go through, we can rest through that. We rest through the changes. We can have the greatest uproar of our lives. We think everything is done. Outward calamity. Do you really believe God? Well, I tell you what, He'll take you through the storms and He will make you dwell above the floods. He always has, always will. You can believe it or not believe it. But if you're His, it's going to happen. I just want to choose peace. Before I was a Christian, I couldn't do that. Now I, I, I want to choose peace every day. The medicine cabinet... I've gone a little bit over, but a little bit. Of, you want to go to the medicine cabinet? Let's go to Psalms, and, and then we're. Going to, I promise you, we're going to close out. I have one little, little, little paragraph here. Psalm thirty-two, six and seven. How blessed! How happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Starts right there, doesn't it? How blessed, how happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And from there you get David's really a kind of confession of sin is what it is. And how blessed we are of that sin being forgiven. Psalm chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Turning to the medicine cabinet. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. You got up this morning? Guess what? God woke you up. And you were able you found out you were able to walk and you could still talk. You could breathe and you even look forward to going to church and got and here we are. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. The blessing is upon us. There's another line of Job, and I'm going to go ahead and close it out here. And I'm going to do it with the Jonathan Edwards. You ready for this? This is applying this to our lives. Hearken therefore to the friendly counsel that is given to you this day. The Scriptures we just looked at. Turn your feet into the way of peace. Forsake the foolish and live. Forsake those things which are no other than the devil's baits and seek after this excellent peace and rest of Jesus Christ. That peace of God which passes all understanding. Taste and see. Never was any disappointed that made a trial. Proverbs 24, 13 and 14. I'm going to read that. You will not only find those spiritual comforts that Christ offers you to be of a surpassing sweetness for the present, but they will be to your soul as the dawning light that shines more and more to the perfect day. See where this is leading? The issue of all will be your arrival in heaven. That land of rest 
those regions of everlasting joy where your peace and happiness will be perfect without the least mixture of trouble or affliction and never be interrupted nor have an end. Thank you, Jonathan. That's helpful. Shows you what we're doing now and then look to what we'll eventually see and we'll see the total reward of it all. Folks, it's worth it what we're dealing with now. Amen. It's a praise to God, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. Thank You for what You say, Your Word, and not what we are given from the world every day, constantly, all day long. Your Word is refreshing. It's good for the soul. And we really need to keep our hearts and minds on this because You are peace. You've given us peace. Help us to be fruitful in that so that others would desire that peace. In your Son's name, Amen.